0: Hey, welcome to the fourth holiday podcast uh, that we're featuring Floyd McClung. I hope you're really going to enjoy this. You know, as we look at movements, uh, one of the biggest struggles that people have is the idea of church. What is church? And we have been growing up in the Western models with so many very clear models of this is what church looks like. In fact, we've split from other Christians and created denominations about what is church yet we see in movements in the non-Western world, uh, explosive uh, Acts-style movements where church is very simple, small, participative dynamic. In this podcast, Floyd talks about the word, the works, and the wineskins, and he proposes that the church today is meant to be the exploding apostolic force, as it was in the book of Acts. Well, that's certainly a a great uh, idea. I hope you really enjoy this, as I really do, as Floyd discusses fresh expressions
1: of church in the West today. I heard one man say that if they wanted to go to a church, they probably would have already gone. So that challenges us then that we want to find some fresh expressions of church that where we're not waiting for people to come to us. But we're actually trying to go to people and get sight, inside of their world. We want to learn from those in places where the church is exploding in growth. So we want to have a posture, if I can say it, of humility and teachableness to say, Lord, what can you teach us about how your church could make an impact on Australia from what he's doing in India, China, Places in Africa, Iran. What's, what is the characteristics of what God's doing that are transferable into our context here? Um, Australia is a multicultural society. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> uh, first time I came to Australia, oh dear. I'm going to date myself now really seriously. It was about 80 years ago, I think, if I remember. <laughs> right. It was in the 70s. And it, it was an all-white culture. I think it was a white-only immigration policy. And man, that's changed. This is like, how many, how many cultures, nationalities, languages in Australia today? 180? 180 to 200. That's pretty amazing. So what works in one culture as an expression of church may not work in another culture. So we want to ask ourselves, what is culturally friendly? So there's two dimensions here. There's the gospel and there's culture. So we want, to, we want the gospel to be culturally friendly to people. So if they live in a particular way in a culture, we don't want to ask them to change their culture to adopt to how another culture does church. So that's, can I say, exegeting the cultures of the, of the society and getting to know that and finding fresh kind of packaging, so to speak, expression of the, of the gospel in that culture. And of course, when we have more church planting and we have more fresh expressions, it mobilizes more people. So it moves people off of the kind of passivity of watching some people actually be involved and it gets everybody involved in the church. So you said it, a movement is an attitude, it's a mindset. Uh, A movement is a set of values. It's not so much about models, but at the values that empower them. Models can change, but the values are transferable and reproducible. A movement is about an apostolic force empowered by the presence of God. It's recapturing that essence of what the church was... In its beginning and saying, God, we want that now. It's like Joyce saying, I want more. And that hunger, when there's desperation, then moves us off center and gets us moving and going with God and what he's doing. A movement requires a set of skills. So certain models of church require certain skill sets. And a movement model, a movement approach requires a different set of skills. Having to do with leadership. Having to do with worship having to do with teaching, having to do with community. So a lot of things begin to change for us in the skills and how we approach it. Three essential ingredients that kind of transfer in movements from one culture to another. Um, these three right here, the Word, the Works, and the Wineskins. Let's just take a moment and camp out there for a second. Every Holy Spirit Bless movement that is happening now. And I recently heard some guys that uh, do a lot of research in this said they know they've recorded 80 movements. And those would be pretty large movements. I know of many other movements that are not yet in the tens or hundreds of thousands. For example, there's a friend of mine, a friend of David's in central India, and he told me three years ago that they had baptized 12,000 Hindus. And he said, uh, Floyd, I'm afraid. I can't go to a village and preach because so many people respond and so many people want to be baptized. It's just wearing me out. I can't keep up with it. Now, when you get inside of that movement, what's really central to the people is the word of God is coming alive to them. Now, it's not always in written form. Most often it's in oral form. But it's the word of God that's feeding that movement. And there's an orientation toward obedience. Uh, I was with our friend, his name is Nitin Sadar, and the movement's called Dinbandu, Friends of the Poor, uh, in, in the Nagpur district and in that area of in central India. And uh, we came together with a group. Um, they had every three months they would gather all their people from all the villages and several districts around Nagpur, Thousands of people would come together for their like celebration. But it was more like a quarterly celebration than it would be uh, a weekly celebration. And when they came together, it was the word of God. And I remember a man standing up. And he said something so unusual. There's a very poor Indian man. What would be called an OBC, another backward cast, an untouchable. Here's what he said through translation, to several languages. He confessed that he had been beating his wife. And that was common in the villages. But it was the word of God that was convicting him. As we did a simple study, hearing what God was saying about how men and women treat each other in marriage. From Ephesians chapter 5, the word gripped his heart. The Holy Spirit brought conviction. And then he began to apply that, and he stood and very uncharacteristic for the culture, very transparent, and acknowledged this need, and the people then prayed with him. It's the word of God that's penetrating people's hearts. And here's one of the big differences in movements that we're finding. It's not oriented around a Western style, a linear style of teaching, conceptual one concept after another, The great expositional styles of great preachers and pulpiteers and orators. Movements are much more participatory. Much more oriented around everybody participating and hearing God speak the word for themselves. Much more geared to obedience than knowledge. Uh, I live in Africa. And uh, we have large numbers of Christians in sub-Saharan Africa. I could actually say to you sub-Saharan Africa has been over-evangelized. Far too much evangelism. And not near enough discipleship. I speak to people daily who can out quote the scriptures to me. But practice ancestor worship, lie, steal, have many different wives. People need to hear not more knowledge, but the words speak to their heart by revelation and bring conviction to them. So we need to move if we want to be a part of a movement away from a knowledge orientation, accumulating information about the Bible and impressing each other with our great insights means nothing if there's not obedience. God's far more interested in not just hearing the word, but being doers of it and applying it to our life one thing at a time. So the word is really having an impact. Uh, every movement that I've been associated with or been around or had the opportunity to observe has had powerful and breaking of the Holy Spirit. I've met quite a few church planners who did not believe in demons or deliverance or signs and wonders. And when they get in the middle of a movement, they change their belief because God breaks in or they hit a barrier, a wall, and they can't go forward unless the Holy Spirit comes. And it demonstrates himself in power. So kingdoms come in conflict. The kingdom of God intervenes in the kingdoms of this world. The ruler of the universe comes. And can I I say just confronts the enemy. The ruler of this present evil age. And when that happens, signs demonstrate the arrival of that kingdom. So we're not talking about a prosperity type message. We're talking about God showing up. And penetrating cultures and mindsets and bondages and setting people free. The power of God is real in movement. And wineskins. Fresh expressions of church. Reimagining, re-experimenting if I can say, reinventing what is old and never change. But it is is also fresh and needs to be re-experienced for ourselves within a particular culture. Now I just want to take a second... I could keep going about this. I could rant and rave, uh, but I want to. I want to ask if you have any questions. You want to interact for just a minute? Yes. I just noticed
0: um, someone like Angus in, here in South Africa has got um, strong preaching. It's, it's 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 the preaching of one that's got great rhetorical skills. Um, what you what? How he getting into uh, your
1: What was the name again? Angus Bucken. Oh, yeah, Angus. Um, yeah, I love Angus and admire him tremendously. I think the point I'm trying to make is not that um, the preaching of the word is bad. there's always a place for proclamation. I'm a, I mean, that's what I'm doing right now, so <laughs> it'd be a little self-contradictory, wouldn't it? Uh, but I believe that the heart of what needs to happen is for people need to get a hold of the word within their hearts. Um, For those of you who don't know, there's an awesome movement that's taking place in South Africa amongst men. It's called the Mighty Men of God. Uh, And a Scottish background, Zambian-born, English-speaking potato farmer. Seriously. um, A racist. Got touched by God. uh, Was converted. Started preaching to farmers in barns and fields and wherever he could get an opportunity. And then heard God say that he should invite men to come to his farm. I forget how many men came the first time. 300, 500 men. Uh, The last gathering had 300,000. And um, Angus has filled every stadium in South Africa. Uh, And God's using him. And interestingly, as an English-speaking Farmer, God is using him to speak into the Afrikaner kind of culture in a very powerful way. I'd I'd consider him to be a prophet to the country. Uh, I've sat in a stadium, kind of our holiest rugby shrine. You know, you've heard of the Blue Bulls, you rugby fans. I went to Loftus Stadium in Pretoria, and there were 70 some thousand people, and Angus uh, just basically prophesied to 72,000 white guys. I was a little disappointed there were no black guys there. But um, then I began to realize, wow, God's raised him up to, as a prophet to this culture and this people. And he basically said, God's not finished with you. With tears in his eyes, calling the Afrikaners back to what God had brought them to Africa for. And that's to serve Africa and love Africa and build up Africa. And then he'd point, all of a sudden you'd hear him stop and he'd point, And you, he'd say up there, if you will repent... God sees your adultery. And you, you've been stealing taxes from the government, from the revenue service. And then you keep crying. And every, every sentence was breathed deep with hope and with redemption and with passion and a call to repentance. So I'm an Angus fan. <laughs> but I notice it's interesting that God's used Angus to get it going. But all over the country when men gather, they gather in little groups and go back to the word of God so it's kind of a both end any other questions how, how
0: do we break the um, the clutch and the mindset of the structures of church to be free to work in a move? because most of us are from a structured church like background, and yet we need to get free of that so that
1: the movement go. Had to get away from the structure. Yeah. Well the good news is there are a lot of people who are in um, can we say traditional uh, institutional church who are very passionate about seeing movements. There's a real symbiotic relationship between a lot of big churches that have a lot of resource and uh, people who want to see movements. Um, Some of my friends who are working in West Africa and Sierra Leone have a Sunday celebration. But they've reoriented the celebration away from being, um, can I say, defining what church is by the gathering to actually seeing themselves there to feed the movement. If that makes sense. So the leaders there have have redefined why they gather. And they see themselves there to equip people to carry out the movement. So the church for them is meeting all through the week. All over the country actually. in hundreds and thousands of little churches and little discovery Bible studies as we call them. And um, the leaders of the celebration don't even define Sunday as a church. They just say this is a celebration. So I think um, maybe looking at those models and being encouraged by them, getting some fresh kind of energy. Uh, I've got a friend in the United States who leads a movement of about 75 house churches, and they celebrate every Sunday. But he actually says repeatedly, please don't come every Sunday. You can't be effective and be on mission with God and live vital community and be discipling people of faith if you're showing up here every Sunday. We want you to be using Sundays to connect with people who don't go to church on Sunday Sunday is when you need a mission fix come here get fired up so you keep going and basically they say to the people in the congregation we want you to be here uh, three Sundays that's three Sundays a year required and that's when they take their financial pledges to keep the whole thing going They're
0: <laughs>
1: very transparent about it say like, just show up make your pledge Now, they have lots of systems for training and equipping people and keeping people on track. But they've reoriented um, and moved away from the fixation that when we come, that is what church is. Uh, How many of you are rugby fans? A few few rugby fans. Uh, What about Aussie rules? Uh, Okay, now we're speaking the right language. (laughs) Do you have halftime in Aussie rules? Yeah, yeah. quarter time (laughs) so uh so what do they do at (laughs) halftime they breathe they break do they go to a locker room Yeah. Uh, and they kind of talk to each other and say sweet things and huddle and and stay warm eat oranges eat oranges yeah so who's like, the, who's like the meanest, toughest Aussie rule player in the country? Barry, Hall. Yeah,
0: Barry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Barry North?
0: Barry, Barry Hall. Western yeah.
1: Bulldogs. Okay. So what if Barry Hall, I don't know Barry Hall. We have, and, and um, I've really gotten into rugby the last few years living in South Africa, and I live in Cape Town, so they have a team there, the Stormers. And, like, the most famous player for the Stormers is a guy named Skulk Berger. So he has long, blonde hair, and uh, Skulk is a, like a wild man. He's like, you know, the average picture you would see in the newspaper of his hair flowing in the wind as he's, like, trying to kill somebody uh, with a smile on his face.
0: Sorry, Barry Hall with uh, no hair.
1: Barry Hall with no hair, okay. So let's imagine Barry going into the locker room at halftime and saying to his coach, who does he play for? The Bulldogs? Yeah,
0: doggies.
1: the doggies. <laughs> and he says to the coach, they hurt me out there. <laughs> <laughs> and it's cold.
0: <laughs>
1: could, we, could we stay inside and, and, and play here in the locker room, please? those people are so nasty out there. They're just like aggressive and violent. And it's so warm and peaceful and cozy here. Does that sound like Barry (laughs) Hall? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Obviously not a doggies fan. (laughs) So rugby does not happen in the locker room. Uh, The locker room is where guys get stirred up, encouraged, yelled at, (laughs) and sent back out to play the game. Church doesn't happen in a building on a Sunday. Uh, Sunday meetings are like halftime. The game is played on the field of life. So we have to have a rethinking of our theology of church and move back to a missional Movement, Book of Acts mindset And that means from the top down And from the bottom up One of the reasons that preachers and pastors Can get away with that by the way Is all the codependent people Who want warm cozy locker rooms And so it's going to take courage On the part of lay people To break out of that The ordinary kind of churchgoer To break out of that mentality And for pastors to move out of that as well so we need to rethink it. That's my suggestion. Any other questions, thoughts? Yes, Ron. Just
0: before I ask the question, I just want to remind you, that please don't read that to the beat this one. Sorry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't hear that, and I don't think I want to. <laughs> <laughs>
0: just a reminder of that. Yeah. Um, the word that works for one screen, the things that I've been struggling with is that the one screen's Is a really sexy thing for a lot of people. Yeah. Enjoying that.
1: Yeah.
0: The word of the works is not. Yeah. And so, how do you? There's a lot of experimental church happens, but it doesn't go anywhere. Right. Um, How do you deal with people who want to get involved and want things, but actually not with that interest in the word of the works aspect of the movement? Yeah. How do how do you transition them out (laughs) or bring them in?
1: Okay, great question. Uh, The question is, what about people who are attracted because there's some sexy new wineskin, some kind of fresh thing, and they're like, they want to do it. But they're not really interested in obeying the word, not interested in the power of the spirit to be witnesses in the world. Well, I think that goes with our whole definition of what our mission is in the church and whether that mission is presented clearly. Um, I would put three major ingredients into what a church is. It's, a, it's got worship, and I'm not speaking of just singing songs, but worship, the upward dimension. It's got mission and community. If people are attracted because they want the latest buzz and worship, or they want cozy community, safe place, but they don't want to embrace mission, then we have to take the responsibility um, to define what our expectations are of people. I've got a friend who just planted a new church in Pretoria, Pretoria East and up in South Africa in the northern part of the country and he said the thing that's hurting his church the most is all the transfers coming in who want the latest kind of cool church but are not interested at all in the original mission of the church that led to the birthing and the growth of making a lot of disciples. This guy is like a discipling fanatic and that means for him reaching people who don't know Jesus. So he's He's, he's seriously thinking about how can he get rid of all those people. And my response to him was, bro, you need to change not your orient- just your orientation of your mission, but you need to change your orientation of Sunday. Because if you, have a, if you have a missional mindset, but Sunday is an entertainment, you actually got a built-in inherent contradiction. So I think we have to rethink Sunday as to if we're going to be able to be consistent. So a clear mission that becomes a test of whether people actually want to join us, and that we live that mission out on Sunday. So Sunday is not geared to kind of catering to uh, the traveling butterfly Christian who's just kind of checking out the latest thing, but that it's actually consistent with what we're doing in our discipleship and in our missional communities. So the DNA then is pulled through everything we do, and it's consistent. It doesn't just kind of disappear at a Sunday celebration. Yes?
0: Along those lines, could you make some comment on some of the uh, churches in the States that seem to tell those to attention very well? Uh, so, particularly, say, uh, Tim Keller in Seattle, uh, sorry, in, um, in no, 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 New, York New York City, City. yep. Uh, Driscoll over in um, wherever he is. But, uh, Seattle, yeah. Now, now, if you sat and talked to them, I'm sure they would talk about the preeminence of small groups and about all that. Being Especially Tim Keller, but they still hold the Sundays very much um, I'd suggest in a different way than what you're saying, and yet they've seen they and I've still seen quite amazing growth. Um, could you
1: comment on that? Uh, yeah, the question is, uh, could I comment on some churches in the States that uh, seem to be doing a really good job of holding to a Sunday celebration? Would that be correct? Am I interpreting you? A, a, a Sunday service
0: that is uh, seems to be
1: what a main thing in terms of the teaching and that sort of thing, and yet we still seeing rapid correction. Yeah, um, yeah I, I only listened to Mark a couple times. I really, Mark Driscoll, I really loved what I heard. Um, he was speaking at what they call an Acts 29 Church Planners Conference, and he was telling a bunch of guys off and telling them to stop planning churches. <laughs> Typical Mark style. You know, you need to stop trying to do this. You can't even take care of your marriage. Go home. Stop your church. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mark is a kind of no, no, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? No nonsense, straight, hit the gut kind of guy. And in a very, very, very liberal, um, cool culture kind of city in Seattle and doing an awesome job. I think one of the reasons Mark's so effective is he's just so straightforward, but got a powerful a preaching, storytelling gift. And so I would say that is really working because it's American culture at its best, so to speak. If I exegete the culture, if I look at the culture, I think, wow, Americans like big meetings. Many people in America, they like anonymity. They like to sit in a meeting, and they want something that will, you know, they want to jazz, they want some buzz. Um, and And if you do that well that doesn't mean you're compromising you can be really true to the gospel and you can package the gospel in a cultural way that's appropriate and touches a particular culture and um, I think Mark's done a great job and there are a lot of other guys in big churches that are doing that as well Rick Warren Tim Keller's just awesome usually those guys are apostolic so they're not just pastors and um, I think one of the reasons they generate movement is because they have a vision for more than this meeting that they've drawn a lot of people to by the power of their gift, their preaching gift. But they dream of a lot more and they sow that into people. And then they back that up with a lot of discipling and training and equipping and vision, sewing, vision casting. So I, I hope this coming across clear. Personally, I'm not against any model of church if it's effective in making disciples. If it's making disciples, it's great. So I compare church models to like containers. I've got a glass here. We've got a container with a little thing on the top. And we've got a cup. And so which one is the best one? And that's the kind of discussion we often get into when we talk about church. Oh, I prefer this. Or that's like really cool. That just meets my need. And that's kind of weird and selfish. It's not the model. It's what goes inside it that counts. That's what's really important. Now, that model needs to be effective in impacting at least a certain segment of a culture. Some megachurches worldwide are having an impact. It's kind of interesting. I think the same is true. I talked to um, Dale on Thursday. We had lunch. About what's going on here in Australia. The same, and I know it's happening in the States. It's interesting. While church attendance in the United States is on the decline, overall numbers of people attending churches, the number of mega churches is on the, inc- on the incline. <laughs> it's increasing in numbers. So the numbers of churches and the numbers of people attending them, which gives us a false impression. That actually the church is growing within the country, which is not true. So a certain kind of church is growing, which is great. But meanwhile, we have to keep looking at what about the total number of people and what style of church will touch more styles of people, kinds of people. So I've said it several times here. And I'll say it again. You never need to criticize a particular style of church to justify another style. You never need to build what you're doing if you're missional and passionate by criticizing another way of doing church. It's just a sign of immaturity. We don't need to do that. Let's just be p- positive. So please don't take what I'm saying as critical. It's just um, trying to look at what will help us reach more people in our culture. Okay, one more question, we'll take a break. Sally? Um, The, uh, the question is, uh, do megachurches tend to reach more of the middle class and do, if we're going to reach the marginalized, do we need to go to them? Let me just kind of reverse that. I would say to reach marginalized people, we need to go to them. We need incarnation. There are megachurches that are actually doing great jobs amongst the poor, but they're within the cultural reach of those people. They, uh, marginalized people are disempowered they often don't have power they don't have choices so poverty limits your options you can't get in a car and go across town but if a church is close by to you it could be powerfully reaching you if it's culturally touching where people are so I would say generally yes it's true that marginalized we need to get to them um, we Work in Africa, and man Africans like celebration. Uh, you know what 's going to happen in heaven? White people will be able to dance in heaven that 's what 's going to happen because <laughs> I know because I made that deal with God because <laughs> like it 's really embarrassing to be a white guy in Africa right now. I want to promise you because <laughs> white men can 't dance man it 's just like it 's embarrassing to watch me try. <laughs> So Africans like love celebration and poor Africans, middle class, rich Africans, is love a big Sunday kind of celebration. So we look at that and we say, OK, is that part of what God put within Africans? And if so, then we want to do movement in a way that honors African culture. And there's room and affirmation of celebrational services without moving away from discipleship. OK.